Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies in hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. This may sound strange, but I'm always fascinated in the origin stories of operations consultants. Like any good origin story, I want to know where they come from. Where do they get their superpowers? What motivates them and is behind who they've become today? But actually, I'm really just curious about their approach. Consultants have so many more data points and companies that they're exposed to than the rest of us. So their ability to find patterns and create frameworks is accelerated at an unfairly high rate, which is exactly why I wanted to talk to Chrissy Saunders, our guest on today's episode. Chrissy is the co-founder and CEO of CS2, a marketing ops and RevOps agency for high growth tech companies. After working in-house in marketing operations herself at companies like Marketo, Jive Software, and Agari, Chrissy co-founded CS2 in 2015 and hasn't looked back. In our conversation, Chrissy and I talk about what used to frustrate her about the consultants that she worked with. We dissect something that she calls the product marketing ops framework, and why Chrissy thinks you should call your ops work features instead of projects. To start though, let's get back to that origin story. What made Chrissy want to venture out and start her own agency in the first place? There was two things that like kind of pointed me to the consulting route. Um, one of them being personal and then another one just being out of like just kind of necessity or a, a gap that I saw in the market. Um, so I so my background, I, I had worked in marketing operations roles and demand gen roles. Um, I started in marketing ops at Marketo. And I managed a team there, and then I moved on to do a global role at a company called Jive uh, Software, where I led global operations teams. And actually met my husband, uh, Charlie, who uh, kind of acted as the pseudo uh, marketing ops person for EMEA, and I got to travel back and forth. And then after that, once we got married, I decided it was time for us to not be co-workers and <laughs> um, moved on to another role where I was doing like revenue operations and demand gen, um, leading an SDR team. It was a lot. Um, but one of the things that I noticed across my career is whenever I felt overwhelmed um, or needed more resources, like we would hire an agency. And it always felt a bit like... Uh, hard because it, it kind of felt like more work to me. I always mm. felt like they wanted me to come to them with projects and just work on those projects. It would kind of be a really long, expensive process. And I still felt like at the end of the day, I was like the best person to make the decision on those projects. And so it, it felt, and I always felt like I was putting my strategy into their cookie cutter way of doing things. And there was oftentimes like not, not a real fit there. Um, and so out of like frustration, I just always thought, man, like it just needs to be different or better. Like there's a different way to do this. And I think that a lot of marketing ops folks would actually uh, be better served if there was an agency that actually helped uh, lead with them, like as far as like figuring out a roadmap and also developing like custom processes that really suited their business and their mm -hmm. business goals. Cause that was also a disconnect. I felt like I was always talking to someone who was like project management, but they didn't do the work either. They didn't understand market operations. A lot of time they didn't understand my strategy. So it just felt really slow. 
Um, and then at the time when I worked at that, uh, that role, I had a personal situation where I wanted a bit more control over, um, my, uh, situation. I, as far as like going to the office. So this is before yeah. work from home. <laughs> I was commuting, um, you know, an hour plus each day, uh, well, two hours each day, but to get from San Jose to San Mateo and my, my dad at the time, um, was sick and, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And so I just wanted a way to be able to, if I needed to help my family, uh, when I could, or be in the hospital, uh, when I could. And, and so it was a sad, it was a sad reason for doing mm. it as well. But, um, uh, I decided, okay, I want to take this into my own hands. And Charlie and I just mapped it out. I reached out to like, 10 people in my network just saying, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. I want to start my own agency. I want to help um, solve the problems of businesses. Like, would you be interested? And it was amazing how many responses I got just within a few hours and overnight. Um, and I started CSTO two weeks later. Wow. And I already had a few clients um, off the bat. So, <laughs> and so much demand that actually Charlie uh, joined me and we both started the business together consulting those clients. That is incredible. Uh, what, what a story. And, and like, I think your experience on the other side, right, gives you this unique advantage amongst all of the other, you know, countless agencies and consultants that, that, that are out there. And so I'm curious with that exact context in mind of like, you you trying to avoided consultants because you thought you were in the best position internally to make those decisions like armed with that context how do you do things differently now that you're on the other side yeah so i think the the main thing and a lot of uh consulting agent uh agency like experts will tell you to to not do this but I thought that um, it didn't make sense to just have a middleman, like a project manager between the people who are consulting the client and then doing the work. I, I, I found that what's better is to have a frontline lead or consultant who's working directly with the client, be that person who's working on the majority of the projects, but like knew how to prioritize um, and also gather the requirements, lead workshops if they could. Um, just because it, it minimized the telephone and really marketing ops is so unique where it's not so it's it's not so exact like I need this one automation built in Salesforce. It's a lot of figuring out what's our life cycle going to be like, how are we going to measure that getting teams aligned and at that time like I, a lot of my first uh, few clients was was just getting teams aligned and doing workshops and um, and so having that person be the per, like that front line who really knows how to prioritize and figure out what projects are needed, um, but also execute on a, on a majority of it um, was uh, what we do and what we do still today. We have our client leads, um, but we also have um, specialists that come in and help out where we can. So we have some of our solutions architects and um, analytics experts, as well as our campaign operations and execution team. 
And when our, our clients need to fill those gaps, they'll come in, but there's still that one person who's really leading the strategy um, and day-to-day and meeting with the client. Because oftentimes you'll get on a weekly call and the client just wants to like even throw some ideas off of mm. that person or being able to respond to them, you know, relatively quickly without just like, you know, moving slower. So previously when I worked with agencies, you'd work on say a simple lead scoring project and it would take like six months. And I just found, wow, like, and I, when I started working with clients, we delivered those in like, you know, a few weeks or a month, like, and, and clients were just like shocked. And, And that includes like testing and building out a deck and, and everything because I just found like it doesn't need to be that long and also it doesn't need to be exactly the way that that person just learned to do like we need there's a lot of other resources and ways to do something and that person will be the best suited to figure that out so not only did Chrissy have this frustration in searching for an agency that would lead she just decided to solve the for the frustration herself there's nothing like a former customer to solve the problems of a future buyer I can tell you as someone who has worked with consultants in the past, once you get stuck in that project manager land that Chrissy described with someone who doesn't actually understand your business or the problem you're trying to solve, you're toast. I love that Chrissy and the team at CS2 have eliminated the middleman and worked directly with the marketing operations folks at the heart of what's actually being built. Now that she's on the other side though, I wanna spend this conversation with Chrissy learning about something that she alluded to earlier getting her clients aligned. Easy to say, much harder to pull off, especially in this digital first or remote world. And it's a little bit harder now. So like, I would compare when I first started CST, like I had the luxury of <laughs> going into a client's office and you know, having their marketing leader there, demand gen, you know, mm. a field marketing leader, an SDR manager, a salesperson, and we could get everyone into uh, the same room and actually say, discuss um, what our life cycle is going to be like defining what those stages are. What are the handoffs? What are expected ways to measure that? Um, and getting everyone speaking that same language and like aligned on like what that process is going to be like. There's a lot of different projects now like that could include that. Like you could have an account model or ABM strategy, whatever it is. But one of the things that we would first do is is come in and kind of assess that, but also get those teams into one one meeting. And one benefit of being a third party to do that is you're kind of this like neutral sounding board or neutral person coming in and saying like, this is how I think we should do this. And also getting people aligned where sometimes that's a bit hard because everyone has their different things that they're working on or maybe different opinions. And so having an expert who has done this multiple times, various times, seen what works at different businesses, it almost makes that alignment um, a bit better. Uh, and uh, because you're just this like intermediary like person, I, I hate to call it like a, a marriage <laughs> counselor, but you almost are at the beginning because you're like hearing the pain points from different sides, figuring out how they're being measured and then getting everyone to like align and define what that is. Now, not every project's like that, but those are some examples. But one of the things that we now do when we work with one of our clients is really get them thinking about how cross-functional okay. their role is. And it's grown. Like I feel like before marketing ops, it was like maybe demand gen, field marketing, 
maybe an SDR manager that you're working closely with. Now it's exploded. Like you're working with so many yeah. different teams that touch the customer, all even to like product, customer success. And so you have a lot of internal users that you you need to treat as users. You need to figure out like what is what are their objectives, like what are their needs, how are they going to be using the processes that you're working on, um, how are you going to train them and enable them, and that doesn't always mean exactly what we think, like just throwing them a deck or training them, like it, it, it can be a bit more nuanced to that, and I, I can talk about that, and then um, how are we going to also get some of these cross-functional people to work on like a main yeah. objective or create what we call like a team coalition, so like maybe there's a few main things they're working on improving for the business. Say it's to increase our conversion rate, um, you know, from MQL to opportunity or uh, our speed to lead process needs to improve. And how do we create that velocity and timeliness and a better customer experience or user experience? Those are all a few things that you actually can't just work in a silo as a marketing ops person. You need a group of people that are really working together and then tracking that outcome. And it's gonna be an iterative approach over time. A marriage counselor for your business sounds about right, don't you think? And while Chrissy specializes in marketing ops, everything that she's describing about team alignment and the cross-functional nature of ops work can be applied for any go-to-market ops team. Now, the thing that I worry about anytime we have a conversation like this is how broad the ops team's charter or spectrum of work can get. It can be burdensome to look after all of these different cross-functional groups, keep them aligned, build out the right routines. So how does Chrissy think about this both for herself and for her clients? The thing I really appreciate about her and CS2 is that they aren't just looking for the quick fix or a single pinpoint project. They are looking to help instill a mindset and a framework for their customers that will endure long after CS2 has left. That framework is something that she calls the product marketing ops framework. Now in this, product is actually an acronym. So let's figure out what each letter stands for inside of Chrissy's framework. It all comes down to like prioritization and also just figuring out the best way to leverage your resources. So I think it's being realistic too. Like, yes, that is a lot, but also you need to be realistic around like what your marketing ops team can do with the resources that they do have. Um, so yeah. just because, and I think leaders need to realize this too, just because you have one marketing ops person doesn't mean that they can do everything under the sun that your team wants to do, unfortunately. Why not? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Why not? Well, and, that, and, and that's the problem. Like, and you'll find, you know, I was like this when I worked in house, I still am. I want to do the world and like, I want to do yeah. everything and I would work, you know, crazy hours and and honestly just get burnt out and um, I think that happens to a lot of marketing ops people because we don't go into this with like realistic um, realistic expectations of like what can be done and where we can spend our time so I mean we we have this method called the product mops method the P okay. in that that we and we in the way we think about it is like treating your mops team like a product team where you're really like um you're delivering products to your internal users or your external users like i talked about and it's you know think of apple apple didn't didn't just like ship the iphone 
and was like, okay, I think we might come back to this in two years. <laughs> you know, like maybe we'll look at this again. Like I think we're good. You know, that's not the way products work. Like they, it's an iterative approach. So the, the first thing is just prioritization. And so the P and really that should be based on um, like your business objectives. Um, and then also that could be a departmental objective that rolls up to that business objective. Um, so the, like that just always ensures that your team's working on things that like really going to move the needle on the business. And the way we like to think about that too, is figuring out, okay, what are some, how, what are some key outcomes that we can tie to that objective? So say for the marketing team, like I said, it's to increase your um, velocity from like inbound lead to SDR to meeting booked. Um, we call it the speed to lead process. The that could be an ongoing thing that you focus on like for that year and your outcome is to increase that velocity by like say like x days or even increase the conversion rate from that request to meeting booked drift is a huge part of that actually um or it can be but the outcome is there like you're mapping that you're tracking that um but also it's something that aligns to a business objective for them it's um you know optimizing or increasing like our pipeline or revenue and so you can always tie that back to that it's one of the main main things like if you mm -hmm. don't have that process improved you could be leaving money on the table and also you could lose business to your competitor so um it just it's just a super important project that you could prioritize so um Prioritization is key. And there's some things that, you know, may not make it to uh, your priority list. And so we call that our roadmap. So figuring out like what the roadmap is or like what key priority project are you working on that time? And then having an outcome that you can look at to report on the effectiveness of that. Um, and I think that's something where people have a roadmap, but it's always just like a list of projects that they're just going to work on for that quarter where, I like to always have like some type of outcome that you can measure against so that you can see how well it did. And sometimes that means waiting, like maybe you deliver and ship in that quarter, but it's coming back maybe a few months later and then measuring like what was the outcome of that. Okay, so in the product MOPS framework, P stands for product, R is roadmap, and O is outcome. If you're following along with me, you can see how this framework might start to take shape within your own team. These first three letters are literally about picking the right stuff to work on, mapping out what comes next, and figuring out how to measure your work's impact. Again, sounds simple, but it's not. For example, Chrissy's point about picking the time you're going to go back and measure outcomes, that's a step teams skip all the time. And if it's a long-term impact, you have to have someone on your team who will go back and keep an eye on that outcome throughout the year, throughout whatever long period of time you've decided. Okay, we've got P-R-O, what's next? D is documentation. Okay. So uh, it's something that we see oftentimes customers don't do, but the benefit of working with us um, our team will, will do it. Um, but documentation is key and there's different types of documentation. There's like operational documentation. So like, how is this thing set up? But there's also like having documentation that is, um, you know, internal user facing, like what's going to be documentation that our SDR team can look at or 
the whole team can look at to see like, oh, what's our customer experience? So really thinking about ways that you can document your process, keep those up to date, and then also figure out which format is good for uh, uh, which user or end user for it. And be creative, like build it into people's workflow and their process. Um, Because I think a lot of the times uh, marketing ops team is always getting all these questions and it really could be deflected if they just had better documentation. Mm. Um, And so if your team uses even like Guru or something um, and is connected to Slack, we actually use it now. But you can actually connect. uh, If you have all of your documentation living there, you can connect it to Slack and actually can search Guru for things. So it can even be like case deflection. So another thing, like what you said, oh, it can feel really cumbersome, like marketing ops is control of so many things. Well, a lot of our job is just sometimes just deflecting questions yeah. or reiterating to someone, like, why did this thing MQL? Why is it routed this way? Or even getting requests for routing, you're like, that's already in place, you know? Like, But if the, all those things were documented or the people could see it in a better way, then that leaves you time to stay focused on your key projects that are prioritized for you and also just to stay elevated really thinking about like the in this role like maintaining your roadmap and measurement and stuff instead of getting pulled down into just like that hum of things that can take up your day like wow I just had to go down a rabbit hole for like an hour or answer people's questions when they really it could have just been through that that documentation um or even figuring out deflection so like you can take in those questions, but knowing like, okay, that's a really cool request, but this doesn't fit onto our roadmap. But let me see where that can fit in, you know, when we when we have that time. So um, your roadmap can also, you know, yeah. protect your time, which for a mops person, like you just need all these things to help protect your time. There's too much to do. I mean, it kind of seems like this entire framework is built to protect your time, right? Like e- e- yeah. even that creativity <laughs> piece, right? Like all of this is way easier said than done, but if you actually put the investment right. in up front to say, I'm going to document this, I am going to make a creative way that's inside of someone's workflow, like in Slack, to be able to make this information available to them, right? Like, you know, I, I think the Slack workflow is a really interesting one because, you know, an example in our business is no no sales rep in the history of the world is gonna read your rules of engagement documentation. Just it's just not it's just not gonna happen, right? But like to your point, if you have that criteria or or some of that uh, that those definitions built into some of their other workflows. So for example, we have after someone's initial discovery meeting, we have a Slack that goes directly to that rep and it lists out for them what the opportunity creation criteria are in the Slack. And so the question of whether or not to create that opportunity or not goes away because it's already there, it's in their workflow and they don't have to go chasing it or back into Salesforce in order to do that work, right? And so um, it seems yeah. like that entire framework is, that. is meant to do that and like ultimately protect the, the marketing ops person's time. Yeah, and I will give you, you're thinking about it in a product mods approach too because we've done things like that for a client too because you're thinking about, okay, what's a better user experience for my internal user? Like it, it, oftentimes we, we, and product market, you know, product teams who do this too, like if you lose sight or if you think that your user knows more than they do, like if you're just assuming that they will get something, you're already a step behind. Like you need to make things so simple and so easy to figure out and within their workflow and expect like in what they expect, like that's just 
better for adoption. So I agree with you. Like we've had, yeah, alerts that go out and say like, hey, you know, our the SDR just completed the meeting. This is your next step. Like if you want to accept it and then have a screenshot, you need to actually like do this. And it seems like, wow, no, they should just know when we just tell them once. And it's like, no, that's not <laughs> that's not usually the way it works, especially for um, say you have new people. So it, it'll train Absolutely. people like off the bat, even when they're new. So um, you're not always bogged down, which is having to train people um, as your company grows. So, yeah, figuring out ways to do that um in a better way but yeah you're thinking about that end user like what's their user experience so is you user experience yeah Nailed it. yeah so cool. the next one is Love <laughs> is user experience and um for both the the customer and so the internal user and external user but um, whenever you're building something, it should line up to the customer's expectations. And then also when you think about building a process internally, think about the user experience for them. And so one thing that often gets missed, but I think should be part of the process, and we're actually figuring out a way to do this for our clients, is to do more internal user surveying. Hmm. Um, so the same way you would do some external surveys for your users, like to figure out an MPS score or a CSAT score or something like that, which I think you should be doing too, or figuring out ways you can survey the prospect that they're, um, even if that's part of your discovery call saying like, hey, like, you know, how'd you hear about us? What was the, what was the experience like your SDRs and AEs can use that as, as icebreakers and it's great anecdotal data to then um, use against whatever your attribution data is. But as a side note, but um, you're figuring out how you can inter like survey your internal users is just as important. So if you start to kick off a, a project with this with a certain team or a set of teams, identifying who those people are and like how they be part of the process, but also at the beginning of the process, figure out like what are the pain points like for that person or what's like their expectations going in and then deliver it and then do a set of surveying there where maybe you do an initial, like after it's been delivered, survey your internal customers, figure out like where was there a gap in like the training or wh what's some feedback that you think or examples of where you think that this is like not working. And this also helps because if you get ahead of like oh, setting a process for how that survey is doing, you're also protecting your time too. Because think about when you when you deliver something and you're in postmortem phase, like how many questions are you getting? Like, oh, this isn't working, or yeah. oh, I, I have like, you know, send them this and that, and that that can be very distracting. But when you set this uh, the structure of like we're going to deliver this. We've done a lot of testing, but know that not everything's perfect. We're in postmortem phase and we're going to do a survey after to gather your feedback. That becomes a more concerted like effort thing. And you're not just like getting 30 slacks. Everyone yeah. just knows, okay, go put your feedback or fill out the survey here. And, um, but also it can be used then to make better improvements because people are actually thinking about it or sometimes People don't even bother to give you that feedback. So it's really gathering that feedback from the internal user. The more I hear about Chrissy's framework, the more convinced I am that it's all about spending time in the most effective way possible. Documentation as a deflection, surveys as a form of controlled purposeful feedback. It's the highest quantity of the highest quality of activities by your operations team. I'm also finding that each of the components of the framework feeds off of the others. 
only taking in user feedback in a vacuum or just using that feedback to create yet another to-do list isn't helpful. It puts you right back into the situation that Christy's trying to help us to avoid. But if you take that feedback with the context of, let's say, your roadmap, that feedback takes on an entirely different look. Chrissy said that this complementary nature of the framework's different components is especially true of our next letter, C. And the next one with C is continuous improvement. And so when we think about a roadmap with a product, usually you build features. And so a key thing here is that calling things features instead of projects then puts you into this mode of continuous improvement. And I, I do think that marketing ops people need to think about maybe talking about this with the, what they build is like features and not pro, uh, like projects um, or tasks, right? Like tasks, like to me, yes, you're going to have some ad hoc tasks or things that you need to do, but all of that should likely build, like roll into just working on a feature. And a feature can be something that can develop over time. And a lot of the time, so you have these like main outcomes that you're trying to work towards, say for the year or even longer than that. You have these teams or team coalitions that are working on that and they're tracking the improvement on those outcomes. And then the things that they're working on or against are features. So I'll give another example of the speed to lead. A feature can be hey, we're going to launch, we're going to start using a like drift calendar link or at the end, like we're going to use our drift bomb. We're going to have a calendar link. I'm using that too. I mean, we're on drift podcast. So I mean, okay. <laughs> appreciate, um, it. But, appreciate it. That's good. Good speed to lead on that thing I heard. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so that's making our roadmap. We're going to launch that. That's a feature. And so say they develop that and then we find out, okay, actually we that's great that people are able to book directly on a calendar, but we're finding that some people like shouldn't go directly onto the calendar. Like we need more questions to ask. And usually you'll get that feedback from an SDR and AE like, Hey, we had to actually like, it's, we don't want to cancel on people either, you know? So let's, um, let's ask these few questions before we send people to book the meeting so we can really make sure that they'll be um, applicable for our product. And so then that is like now an improvement or adding on like that feature and that'll make it through. So it's always realizing like you need like, it's not just one project that you deliver, never yeah. come back to. It's there's always going to be things that you can improve. And because you have these main objectives, say like speed to lead or your customer experience or always working on those features are going to just always build up on each other and you're going to have the space for that. And there might be some things that just don't make it because they just don't fit that. And I think for growth companies like this is important because your marketing ops resources are so limited. Like, yes, maybe you do want to develop this um, crazy custom attribution model, but like, me, it doesn't meet your what you need right now. Is like, do you have the resources to do it? Is it what's the outcome that you're going to be tracking? And I'm not hating against that as a project. That's a super important project. But it's just no. But to your point, like someone also then needs to maintain it, right? right? And that needs to survive the next iteration of the company's growth as well, right? And so that's where I think the continuous improvement comes in. And I'm glad you keep coming back to speed to lead as the example because that's the perfect example of something where okay, everybody, our speed to lead sucks. Yeah. 
let's focus on this this quarter. And then we get really, really good at it for 90 days. And then we're like, great, everybody declare victory on speed to lead. Let's move on to the next thing. And then a month, two months, three months go by and you're like, oh, speed to lead sucks again. Like, let's do that all over again. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where you can't just, there are certain parts of your business that need con to just constantly work, right? And, and without that level of oversight and, and continuous improvement, you're gonna go through these cycles of, oh, we got way better at this and then we got worse at it again. I would say this is this is the fundamental change for a lot of businesses. So it's gonna take time. Like this is something we're still trying to even roll out to our clients to start thinking this way and having us like guide them through it. But when you are tracking towards outcomes too, and you're, but also your focus is minimized a bit on just the things that really matter, you really start to see like where you're providing value and i think that's one of the problems with operations uh in some cases is like we we get a bit discouraged like where am i providing value i know everyone tells me i'm a super super important part of this company <laughs> i'm a super important part of the you know role at least some people yep. But yep. I'm not I can't be like demand gen say like I generated X amount of like pipeline or whatever. But you are like pretty much like part of that too. Like anything that's in marketing, like marketing ops is touching, but that's why I think these outcomes are really good to track toward because you can actually see improvements of where you're spending your time and then you can report that back to the business. And a lot of time it's gonna be super important. Like if you are able to increase your conversion rate, but even like say 2%, that, that's, that's like your outcome. what that means to some uh, company's bottom line is like super impactful. And, and that's your outcome, right? And then when you're able to prove that and say like, hey, with this resources, I was able to do this. If you wanna do this, this, and this, then I need more resources. But now you can actually make the case for funding that because you are able to show your impact. Chrissy told me that her entire framework is about raising the profile and the awareness of the work that marketing ops does. And I don't think that that just applies to the other folks internally at your companies. It applies to us, the operators. This framework gives us a way to articulate the value of our work in a clear, well-structured way. Now, if C stands for continuous improvement, let's tie a bow on this thing. T stands for team coalitions. This one is, is an interesting one because everyone knows, okay, marketing ops needs to work cross-functionally and sometimes you'll work as a team. And so what happens a lot of the times is you'll tap a bunch of people and say like, hey, we're going to work on this project. And they may have not even seen that yeah. coming down the line or um, they're not really focused and they'll do like kind of the bare minimum show up, like you said, and then like never, and then maybe look at it for like 30 days and then never again. Right. And so there's teams and there's, and there's also teams getting together, like in interlocks and giving each other updates on what they're working on, which is great that that's good for alignment. So everyone knows what they're working on, but then everyone disperses and then no one like did anything together. So team coalitions, to us is a bit different where like, say you, Charlie came up with this um, analogy and it's great cause like there's like coalitions for like clean energy and it'll take leaders from all these different companies and you know, or, or organizations 
and they'll put them together and they have a long-term goal of clean energy that doesn't mean mm -hmm. like oh yeah we're gonna get together for three months and try and solve like <laughs> you know clean energy or make this initiative like that doesn't happen and that's oftentimes the case with all these things like your speed speed process like increasing your conversion rates um, like, you know, if you need to work on like pipeline velocity, mm. it's not usually something you can solve overnight and definitely maybe not even in, within a quarter. And so, but there's key people that need to work together to make that effective. And, and so team coalitions would be including all those people figuring out, okay, what are the, what's the outcome that we're trying to solve or, or a few outcomes, um, which should be part of that roadmap and then like what are those features that we need to work on and they're constantly meeting with each other to do what they need to push that forward i, I can speak from example like from experience when i like kind of worked on like a coalition with a group of people especially with like an sdr leader or a manager who has like great feedback from the front line or like also had their skin in the game for that outcome like working um then I built this long lasting relationship. It never really ended. Like it always like just continued to, to work on things. And so I think figuring out who are your team coalitions right. and calling them that rather than like, who's like the few people that are going to work on this project um, is super effective. You know, we could probably do uh, a whole episode about every single letter on, on this. And, and you told me that before this. So uh, you were spot on. Like, I know it's early days. Um, but I can imagine if you presented this to me as one of your clients, I would look at it on paper and I would say, this is awesome, right? This makes total sense to me. This is exactly how a marketing ops team should be yeah. run. And then I would go back and look at my calendar and I would be like, okay, on to the next meeting, on to the 17 other <laughs> things I'm supposed to do this week, onto the to-do list, onto the task, right. Like, right? So how are you making this stick? I know it's early days, but like, how do you foresee actually having this be kind of like the operating system for the marketing ops teams that you're working with. Yeah, I think there, so with this whole process, I think there's a few things that the marketing ops person needs to do or the leader or, or rev ops team, right? But like a rev ops team can use this too. Um, and, but I think the first thing is getting the executive buy-in. And so part of that will be, you need to actually start selling. So this can this is hard because I think for some marketing ops folks who are brilliant and amazing, but they the confidence level to like actually be a voice for themselves yeah. or, or be able to like go to an executive and say, this is what I need can sometimes be hard for them. So I will I will say for anyone who's listening to this, this is a great opportunity to work on some of like your soft skills that are really important for your career. And I think the first thing is making the case for making this transition and getting an executive level buy-in from like your CMO, from your VP of, you know, whoever you report into or who whoever will give you the backing who, especially like a CMO is great because they are also in like in control of a lot of those cross-functional teams that you're going to be working with and so if you're having to get those cross-functional teams to work with you differently to fill out your surveys to be part of your team coalitions it's gonna be really hard for you to do that without some executive level buy-in so i will say be the thought leader stand up and tell and and i will say cmos are, are trying to figure out right now how do i make my operations team more effective i'm i'm yeah. i have these lack of resources the pool for 
people in this team is crazy right now. Like it's very limited because we, we all fell into this in the job. We didn't go to college for this. We're not engineers that like went to school and learned it. Like, so we're feeling that burn. And also because people have realized how important this role is. But for, for your leader is likely like looking for answers and they don't know because it hasn't really be, been like, it's waters we haven't really crossed before, or at least for them. And they might not know like what's going to make that team most effective. But you as a leader of that team, or even for yourself, if you're a one person team, like you're still a team, like you're one person, like you make that case for yourself. And so I think building a deck to say, this is the way we're, I want to operate. You know, you can pull from product mops. You can even say product mops if you want a method to go back on. I'm happy to share some of this with anyone who's interested and wants like a deck to start out with. But getting that executive level buy-in is, is key. Before we go, at the end of each episode, we're gonna ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months. Um, I don't know. I, I, I will be honest. I don't have enough time to read recently. I usually listen to podcasts. Um, so I might have to say podcasts and I, um, how I built this, um, by Guy Raz, I feel like is really cool. I like that podcast a lot. Um, just because you can hear from entrepreneurs and their ups and downs and, um, it, it, reminds you that success is not linear and I think mm. marking out people like that's that's a good thing to learn like always just like being that growth mindset and just know that some setbacks just means you might get have a learning lesson from that podcast perfectly acceptable answer all right <laughs> uh favorite part about working in ops oh problem solving I I love like I love finding a problem or figuring out a problem and then creating a solution and then um, impacting the business and being able to see that change. So it's, it's the number one thing. Flip side, least favorite part about working in ops. Um, people that just don't understand the importance and think that we just push buttons all day and just <laughs> work in Marketo and, um, that there's our, our job is automated. Um, it's not, it, yes, we use marketing automation, but it's, far from automated right now and for people who think it's close to that and our jobs are going to be pointless one day I will tell you that I don't see that happening for a while <laughs> if anything the opposite right yeah <laughs> yeah I just click refresh and hope for the best on the dashboards and that's basically the, the way my day goes uh someone who impacted you getting to the job you have today Um, like two people. So when I was at Marketo, um, Maria Pergolino, I remember first, uh, interviewed me and hired me. And then my boss at the time, Chris Russell, um, they both, I was just kind of like a marketing kind of generalist. They barely had a marketing ops team at Marketo, but I, they just saw like, I was just interested in everything and love. And so gave me the opportunity and I was just, I was managing people at a young age and I got to work on models like just so early on into my career. And, um, and both of them later, uh, impact me, especially Maria, like she was one of my first clients at CS2. So I will say that that was pretty invaluable, but honestly, I have to say I have had so many people I've interacted with and 
my whole career and in this space that have been super supportive and I can learn from. And um, so, yeah, it's hard to just name a few. There's just so many. That's awesome. All right, last one for you real quick. Uh, One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. Um, Be interested in not just marketing ops, but like the whole business, the whole revenue engine. I, I've always been interested in just business in general or when I was in like more general roles, I even if it had something to do with PR, I wrote it down like when I was like early in my career, like I was just so interested in every part of marketing. And as a marketing ops person, it made me so much better. And I was able to learn so much quicker because I was like, oh, I know this piece fits into this and this needs to happen because this team needs it to happen. And so like really understanding the whole revenue engine, the whole like marketing team, how they work, what are their own like departmental goals? How do they measure things will make you so much better of like a marketing ops leader because you understand that and you know to speak their language and you know like what drives them and you don't know how this whole picture put is put together and what's important and probably what's not. Huge thank you to Chrissy for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. If you, like me, want to hear more from Chrissy, you can check out her podcast, Forward Thinking. That's FWD Thinking on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, Chrissy is the co-founder and board member at Women in Revenue, a nonprofit that's focused on empowering women in B2B sales and marketing. If you want to learn more about the work that they do, go to womeninrevenue.org. All right. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you are subscribed so you get a new episode in your feed every other Friday from great operations leaders like Chrissy. And if you learned something today, leave us a review. Leave us a six-star review on Apple Podcasts, six-star reviews only. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.